Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone, and it's such a joy to see everybody here today and those who are watching online. I'm glad that you're able to come together. I know it's one verse. It doesn't mean it's only one-minute sermon. We're just going to go through this study, and I really thank the Lord for His Word because the Word does its work. So that's important for us. So as I always like to say, it's a tour de Colosse. That's what I like to call We are on the 21st day of our tour. We're almost coming to the very end of it. And uh, as believers, we learn that we are wearing new clothing and we are called the ambassadors of Christ. And along with that comes responsibilities. And last Sunday, we looked at the responsibility as godly employees, as people who are working in the business, in, 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 the, in the world. And we concluded that, bear with me, that the Christian employees must possess certain qualities. And, uh, and we learned last, last time, oh, there we go, last time that Christian employees must obey their employers in everything. They must obey their employers with sincerity of hearts. They must obey their employers out of reverence for the Lord. They must work for the Lord with all their energy. They must work for the Lord with a view toward God's judgment. This is what we learned last time. Today we'll be looking at the responsibilities of the employers, studying from the, the one verse that we, that we heard being read today. Again, I want to tell you it's more preaching than teaching today. It's a very practical session. It impacts everyone, so I would encourage you to open your Bibles, even though it's one verse, and turn, your, turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. And let's dive into the text first, and you just heard being read, Masters, Give your bondservants, I'm reading from the New King James Version, that's why it's slightly different. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, last time when we spoke, uh, we noted in verses 22 to 25, Paul spoke to slaves serving their masters. And now we see that he's speaking to the masters who are caring for the slaves. In verse number 1. So in our contemporary context, this may not directly apply to us. However, we can still learn many lessons from this that apply directly to the employee-employer relationships. The big question is this. We, what are the Christian's responsibility in the workplace as an employer? That's the question today. What are our responsibilities, and how do we practically live, out, live this out in our current jobs so that we become the catalyst for change, for transformation? So what can we learn about Christian employer from this text? That's what we're going to look at. So let's look at this passage. It says, Paul starts by saying, Masters, give your bondservants. Paul says, Masters. So you would right away ask the question, hold it, pastor. Listen, I'm not a master, I'm not a CEO of a company. 
So how is this study going to be useful to me? That's a question that comes to your mind. But just bear with me. Let us first understand the definition of the term masters. Masters is defined like this. He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding, one who has control of the person. So in order for us to draw some life lessons, we have to contextualize this. We are masters and slaves in the Greco-Roman world, the first century, during the time this epistle was written. But today we have employers and employees. Even though both manage workers and the responsibilities are pretty much the same, yet the styles, the management styles and the techniques are different. I just want to repeat that. Both, in both situations, whether we were masters and slaves or whether we are employers and employees today, we both manage workers and, and their responsibilities are pretty much the same. But the techniques are different. In the olden days, they were called masters. In today, we are called leaders. Leaders. So as we study today's text, we'll see timeless principles which apply to today's leaders who govern workers. So firstly, in order for us to understand what Paul is saying here, we need to know the difference between masters and leaders. What's the difference here? Masters will use force and intimidation on others so their commands will be obeyed. That's how masters manage. Force and intimidation. While leaders will naturally gain admiration from the way they influence others by example. That's the difference there. So who is a leader? He's the one who set a positive example for others to follow. So in today's context, everybody is a leader. Whether you are a CEO, whether you are a middle manager, a junior manager, a factory worker, a janitor, an entrepreneur, or a single parent. The one who leads from the front is a leader. The one who sets an example is a leader. The one who walks the walk, talk is the leader. The one who takes the responsibility is a leader. The one who influences others is a leader. The one who makes a difference to others is a leader. So in essence, Paul is telling the masters, be a good leader of your slaves. That's what Paul is telling here. Influence your followers by the testimony of your lives. That's exactly what Paul is telling to the masters in the first uh, century Greco-Roman world. Influence your followers, influence the slaves by the testimony of your lives. So in other words, he's saying be the leader of your slaves so that they will follow your examples. And Jesus said the same thing in the New Testament principles. You can look at it here. Oops, sorry. In the same way, in Matthew 5, 16, Sermon on the Mount, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's a commandment that is given to all the believers. Let your light shine before others. Let your testimony of your life speak for itself so they will glorify you. So the principles we learn here applies to you when you lead people, when you are a source of influence to others. 
You know, those of you in leadership, I would encourage you to read the books from John, Dr. John Maxwell. He's a wonderful man. He has written so many books on leadership. Great writer. The John Maxwell, the leadership guru, he points out that there can be many different kinds of ineffective leaders. We might all be leaders, but we can be very ineffective leaders. So I'm going to do a quick self-check. I just want to keep a mirror in front of us to see what type of leader we are. So listen to this. When you look at the types of leaders, the first type of leader can be the insecure leader. The one who thinks everything about themselves, and as a result, every action, every piece of information, every decision is put through their filter of self-centeredness. Are you one of them? Secondly, John Maxwell says, you can be a vision-less leader. They create two immediate problems for the people who work for them. First, they fail to provide direction and incentive to move forward. Secondly, people who lack vision always lack passion. There's no fire, there's no fuel to keep themselves and their people along. The third, he says, is an incompetent leader. They are trouble not only for the people they lead, but also for the entire organization. They are the lids on the parts of the organization. They will be the impediment for the growth of the company. The fourth is a selfish leader. He advances at the expense of everyone around him or her. They will attempt to lead others for their own gain, for the detriment of others. The fifth one is the, is the chameleon leader. When people follow a leader, they never know how he will react. As a result, valuable time and energy that could be used getting work done is often wasted in trying to predict and anticipate the leader's next move. And the last one, he says, the controlling leader. These are leaders who micromanage. They are driven by one or two things, the desire for perfection, which you can never achieve, or their belief is that no one else can do the job as good as me. They think that others' contributions aren't as valuable as their own, so neither makes for positive working condition for the people. So the question to you, church, and to me is that, are you one of them? What is your leadership? How will the others look at you and say what type of leader you are? Think about this for a moment. Ask yourself, on whom do I have influence today? In my workplace, in my community, in my household, in the church. Because leadership is inseparable from influence. If you are a leader, you will influence people. The biggest choices we'll ever make then are how we will influence others who will be the role models we allow to influence us. So Paul is speaking to these masters, giving them instructions how to lead their workers. That's exactly what Paul is telling these masters. So what do we learn from this? How can we lead in such a way that honors God as a Christian employer or leader from this text? So in today's context, how can you and I lead people so that it will be honoring God. So another way to ask the question is, what was the responsibility of the Christian masters to slave, and what are its implications to employers and leaders and employees today? So the first principle is this. Look at this passage again. Masters, 
I'll tell you what, I'm, what I want to say and then I'll explain to you. As Christian leaders and employers, we must provide holistic care. Holistic care for the employees. Listen to the passage. Masters, give. That's what Paul says. Another translation might say provide. NIV says that. ESV might say treat your bond servants. You give, you provide, you treat what is just and fair. So let us understand in the context. Now, Paul's teachings were radical in the ancient culture. It's very radical. Now, William Barclay, some of you know, he's a commentator. He says this about the slavery in the Roman Empire. Listen very carefully, then you'll understand the context. The slave during that time is a thing in the eyes of the law. It's not a human, it's a thing. There was no such thing as a code of working conditions. When slaves were too old, they could be thrown out to die. If they cohabited and had children, the children belonged to the master. That is how these slaves were. So because the slaves had no rights in that culture, this often led to the abuse of slaves. However, we see Paul calls masters to do what is right and moral. Imagine the, imagine the teaching that Paul is telling these masters is totally in contradiction to what was there during that period of time. It was very radical. Paul is saying the master was to treat them righteously, treat them fairly. That's what he says here. What is just and fair? This was a radical in a society where many masters commonly mistreated their slaves, and it was okay. It was accepted. It is the norm. If you try to treat them in a better way, you become an outcast, a master. So it's difficult for you to be a godly master. It'd be easier for you to be a godly slave. But we saw a picture of this when Paul sent Onesimus. We know who Onesimus was. He was a, he was a, he was a slave, a runaway slave. He came to Paul. And in the interaction with Paul, he became a believer. And his master was a, was a fellow by the name of Philemon. And you have a book in the New Testament called Philemon. So what happens is, is Onesimus came to Paul, and he came to know the Lord. Now Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Do you know where Philemon was? We studied that on the day one. Philemon was staying in Colossae. And the, and, and the commentators say that this church in Colossae actually met in Philemon's home. Picture this. So here's Philemon. He's having these believers in his home meeting. And his slave ran away. He accepted Christ. And he's coming back. He's been sent back to Paul. So what is Paul saying about this slave? That will give us the right context. Look at this. Perhaps the reason he, Onesimus, was separate, he's talking to Philemon. Paul is writing to Philemon. Perhaps the reason he, Onesimus, was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good and no longer as a slave. Radical statement. Radical statement. 
but better than a slave as a dear brother. Oh my God! A slave to be a brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man. He is not a slave anymore, that's what he's saying. And as a brother in the Lord. Wow! What a statement from Paul! Philemon was not, to, not only to treat Onesimus as a man, but as a dear brother in the Lord. This is how Paul called the masters to treat their, their servants. Now you can see how radical this can be, church. He said to treat them righteously and fairly, even as one would treat a family member. So you may ask the question, okay, pastor, I understand that, but how should Christian workers, employers, take care of the employees? Let's look at the verse again. Masters, give, provide, treat your bond servants what is just and fair. So Paul is saying, masters, you ought to give them, provide for them, and treat them what is just and fair. In essence, Paul is saying, masters, provide for them a holistic care. A complete care package is what you need to give them. So Paul is saying, masters, know each slave intimately. In order for you to provide for them, you must know them intimately so that you can treat them justly and fairly. They are not robots, they are not production machines to optimize the output by stretching the limits. They are workers, they are human beings, people who feel and sense and face all that you masters face in your life. Be sensitive to that, be aware of their circumstances. That is when you can treat them justly and fairly. Lead them by influence, not by intimidation. That's what Paul is saying. Let me explain this in your context today. I know most of us, 99% of us will be working somewhere. When your house is on fire, you're going to work on that day. You will not going to be productive, isn't it? When your children are in shackles or starving, you will not focus on your work. When your wife is leaving you, you ain't thinking about the job. When you're called in for blood works or MRI or scans, your priorities have changed. When your car is broken down, your mind is elsewhere. Now on that day when the employer doesn't understand this, he's demanding you to do something, he is not going to get the right amount of work from you. A holistic care simply means that he understands your background, understand what you're going through, and provide the support that you need. So Paul says, provide holistic care. And in this passage, as we look at this, I see at least there are five things that would add up to this holistic care. Give just and fair. Number one I see, I'll go one by one, is pro provide holistic care by paying them fair wages. Pay them fair wages. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, we find a worker is worthy of his wages. Give them what is just and fair. Now, in the case of slaves, they did not typically receive monetary wages. By caring for them included giving them adequate housing and food and accommodation, working conditions, and probably even medical support. 
You know, I learned in my, in my business travels in, 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 in China, I've been to Shanghai, and, 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 and my, the employer had an apartment building where he brought all the workers. And they are given the accommodation, they are given food, they are given medical facilities, and they can get the product, production out of them. Because they met all the needs. So when you talk about what makes a salary fair in the people's, people's eyes, for you and me, a salary is perceived to be fair is one whose financial reward is proportional to an individual's input. That's when it is fair. So in the eyes of the employee, the recipient, you must consider that fair. You have to feel that, yes, this is fair. When you see it's not fair, what are you going to do? Go look for a job somewhere else. Isn't it? So employers must not unjustly use the employees. There's a big warning, church, here. If you oppress the wage earner in his wages, you will be judged. The Old Testament uh, writer Malachi, he spoke about this in Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. There's going to be judgment. And I'll be swift to witness against, there are so many things, and the last part is against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages. When you oppress the wage earner in his wages, you will be subject to judgment. If you shortchange, you will be judged. The Lord hears the cry of the workers whom you cheat. See what the warning that the Apostle James is saying in the New Testament. James 5.4 Indeed the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, when they cry out, the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord. When the workers are unjustly treated and you're not giving them the fair share of their wage, when they cry out, the Bible says the Lord hears their cry. And not only that, listen to this, verse number one. Come on, come now, you rich, you employers, weep and howl for, the, for your miseries that are coming upon you. When you do that, this is what's going to happen. When you do not give them the fair share. Let me tell you how I was convicted. I know that we, we have a habit. I don't know about you. You may be innocent of this. But I have a habit in all my travels, especially even in the missions. I know Keith is equally guilty, he, even though he looks very saintish today. We go on the street, and when you see the street vendors, when they say it's going to be 20 rupees, we'll ask for 10 rupees. Don't you do that? You know, I was so convicted as I was going through this. This poor man is bringing his homegrown stuff and trying to sell so he can eat. And we are standing there with dollars and we are negotiating on the rupees. Son, I decided I'm not going to do it anymore. And you better not do it as well. Okay. The poor street vendor live off this small income. But we take advantage. Don't we? But we go to Walmarts and the restaurants and, and byways and highways, I don't know, whatever, whatever places you go to, the price tag is there. Do you go and negotiate? They'll kick you out. We are like the masters. 
will be judged. Isn't it scary when you look at it from that point of view? It's scary. We'll be judged. The Christ-centered employer understands that God blesses his business not merely for his own benefit, but in order to be a blessing to his employees. So the first way to provide holistic care from this passage is by paying them fair wages. And the secondly, providing holistic care for the employees is by encouraging and rewarding them for their labor. You have to be encouraging and rewarding them for their labor. Look at this passage in, on Romans chapter 13, verse 3. For rulers are not terror to good works, but to evil. Rulers meaning the employers here, we can look at it. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. When you do good, you will receive praise from your masters. So one of God's purposes for Christian employers is to encourage good deeds. They should reward the integrity. They should reward hard work. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We urge you, brothers, admonish idle, encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak, be patient with them all. By doing that, they reflect the character of God who rewards those who do good. Now, church, the reward does not, does not have to be monetary. Even the words of appreciation, a card, an email. Now, when your boss comes to you and passes by and says, you know, Keith, you've done a great job. It gives you so much happiness, encouragement. It means a lot to a worker. It encourages the worker to receive more. It's, even when someone else is encouraged, you want to have the same encouragement. It will cause you to make work more and with more confidence, it will encourage them to work harder. So that is the second thing that I see here when you take about the holistic care, encouraging and rewarding. The third thing I see here to provide holistic care is giving them fair discipline. Fair discipline. I didn't say fair punishment. I said fair discipline. Often discipline, it, when you hear it, it looks like a bad thing, but it's not. It's a part of way that we give what is right and fair. Even God disciplines those he loves. A Christian employer must at times discipline his employees. This means they must give employees constructive criticism to help them do what is right. Again, listen what Paul says in this, in this warning. He says that in Romans, sorry, in verse number four, for he, meaning in this case the employer, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, that's where the discipline comes. Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So in other words, without proper discipline, we may actually promote sin. So it's important for us to discipline people. That's fair and just. It leads the employees, if you don't discipline, it will lead the employees into wrong pathways. There are many positive outcomes from employers when a positive discipline model is utilized. The positive attributes are the increased morale and self-discipline and additional training and better attitudes from the employees. The positive discipline can also increase productivity and vision, at the same time, reduce the fear of punishment. But every time you want to go and tell something wrong about someone, please, 
tell what is good about them first. Otherwise, you are sitting on the judgment seat. I always tell you, when you go and discipline somebody, it can be anybody. It can, be, it can even apply to your homes. It can be your children, it can be your husbands, your wives, your, your mothers, your fathers, your friends, whoever it may be, your workers, employees, employers. Every time you say something negative, or rather we are disciplining, it will be perceived as a negative thing. Tell something good about them. Let them know that you are doing it out of love, and I always tell them, put your arm around the person as you are saying something because you are punching them. They are going to fall, you can tell them, I'm going to hold you, I love you, I care for you. That is holistic care. That's what Paul is talking about here. So we looked at three things so far on holistic care, paying fair wages, encouraging them, and giving fair discipline. The, the fourth one I see for holistic care is if you want to give them fair and justice, pray for them. Praying for them. Pray for your employees. One of the best ways to care for one's employees just fair, just and fair is to pray for them daily. Do you pray for the workers? Pray for them. Tell them that you are praying for them. Let this be common for Christian employers. Pray for the workers, for their families, for their lives. Pray for the business to serve people and, and community well. Pray for the work day. Pray for a God-honoring day. Pray for encouragement for work. Pray for protection. Pray for success. Pray, pray, pray. That should be the fourth thing if you, don't do, if you want to give a holistic care. And the last thing that I see here in a holistic care is it ties to the second part of the verse as well by modeling Christ in your workplace. By modeling Christ. Listen to what Paul says in, in, in two, 2 Corinthians. This is what he says. For we are to God the aroma of Christ. All of us believers. We are to God the aroma of Christ those who, for those who are being saved and those who are perishing. My question to you, church, and to me as well, can people smell Christ on you? When you spend a lot of time around something, you start to smell like it, isn't it? When we spend so much time with Christ, people can smell Him. And he can see him through us. The people who are serving through our leadership should see Christ in how we respond as employers. Fair and just. When they fail, when they succeed, when they are discouraged, they should see us, our walk and talk jive. That's what fair and justice mean. How authentic are we in the way that we deal with business matters? Are we telling them to take some shortcuts? Are we telling them it's okay to hide this information from the tax, tax, tax man? What steps do we take to resolve critical issues? How do we react in crisis? Our lives should exude an aroma that directs people to Christ. I tell you one thing from my own professional experience. I had a, a partner with me in my workplace, and you don't know him, that's why I'm sharing it. I mean, him and I, in our trials, we always talk about, I, he knows that I'm a believer. We always talk about Christ. But I tell him, you know, I'm praying for you and so on and so forth. And, but we never went beyond that. It's always a superficial talk. But he knows that I believe in God and, and I'm active in ministry. One day he called me. He was, a, you know, 
they're all private people. One day he called me and said, Ron, I need to see you personally. I said, sure. So we went out and we saw. And he was making a confession about his wife's infidelity. He was broken. He was in shackles. He didn't know what to do. And he came to me and he said, I am at a loss now. I don't know what to do. Can you pray for me? So not only I prayed for him, I guided him through the scriptures. And, and I also taught him or, or, or showed him from the word. I didn't teach him anything. I, I let, allowed the word to talk. And how do you handle a situation like that? And later on, when she came back, fully repented, and they came together. Why? Because he had that confidence in me. Church, I'm not elevating myself. I'm, I'm the worst sinner. But he saw something that he could come and talk to. In your workplace, in a place of influence, community, who is able to come to you? So we looked at so far, the Christian employers must provide holistic care in five areas, I said. Number one is pay, pay, paying the fair wages. Number two is encouraging and rewarding for their labor. Number three is to giving them fair discipline. Number four is to praying for them. And number five is modeling Christ. And now, after saying all this, Paul concludes by asking this question or telling why they should provide this holistic care. That's what I see in the latter part of this first verse. Look at this verse again. Masters, give your bond servants what is just and fair, second part of it, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Why do you do that? Knowing that you also, you have a master in heaven. So there are two reasons I see why Christian employers or leaders must provide this holistic care. Firstly, we see because he knows whom he serves. The word know here is not just referring to an intellectual knowledge. It is referring to an experiential knowledge. I have experienced God. So these Christian employers or leaders know that they have a master because they have known their master experientially day by day. It is not just head knowledge for me. It's only when you can experience him, it will be seen in your life. If it is a head knowledge, it will be only, uh, you are only going to debate about things. It will never be seen in your life. So the word know here means that you have experienced him. You're walking with him. It means that you should be daily submitting to your heavenly father in order to be a good leader, in order to be a good follower of Christ. You must be someone who is loving God and obeying God and serving God because you know by experience what a good master our God is. And therefore, when you see who your master is, you can demonstrate his attributes 
in your workplace. You begin to imitate Christ in your workplace. That's the first thing he says. Knowing. He knows. Secondly, what I take from this is that the, one of the reasons, or the reason why he, we must provide holistic care is because not only you know whom he serves, that you are accountable for your calling. You are accountable for your calling. God has placed you in this position, not by accident, it's by divine plan. Wherever God has placed you, there's a responsibility. You are accountable for that. The Christian employer leader must know God and faithfully submit to him, but they also must recognize that they are accountable to him. Employers are simply stewards of God's authority and resources. Don't you ever wonder sometimes, you know, I see Bill Gates. Maybe I see Barack Obama. I see all these people. Why am I like this? Why can't I be like Bill Gates? Sometimes you wonder these questions in your mind. How come, you know, they are able to have this luxury life or they are able to have this, but I don't have it. You know what, church? God has placed you where you are with a plan and a purpose. And there's a responsibility. There's an accountability that comes with the position that you're holding. One day we'll be judged by God, just as the slaves will be. We looked at it last time, because based is on their stewardship, but we studied that last time. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says here. Hebrews 13, 7. Obey those who rule over you. That is the masters. And be submissive to the masters. For they watch out your souls as those who must give account. They have to give account one day. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that, so for that would be unprofitable for you. So in Hebrews 13, the writer is probably talking specifically about elders in the church. But however, this principle, it applies to the leadership. One day, you and I will have to give an account for our leadership before God. We are called to shepherd and love the souls that God has placed under us. So as leaders, we must always be aware of this judgment. In the same way we consider the judgment of the slaves, the master's judgment will also be, listen carefully, earthly and heavenly. We looked at last time. Earthly and heavenly. And I have seen how some people who have thrown darts at others for their own benefits were really condemned by God from an earthly point of view. I've seen that. As a child of God, we can truly stand and say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Those who lead well will be favored and blessed by God, but those who do not will be judged without partiality. Certainly we'll always be aware of our accountability God in our leadership. So what we have looked at so far is that in this one verse, thank God is only one verse, it says we must provide holistic care. 
and how do we provide? There are five things we looked at. By praying for wages, by encouraging and rewarding, by giving fair discipline, by praying for the employees, and by modeling Christ. And the reasons to provide such care is because knowing whom you serve and being accountable for their calling. So as I conclude this message, a relationship to Christ should drastically affect every relationship in our lives. We looked at the household codes in our families, in our workplaces, as employees, as employers, as leaders, as followers. For many Christians, it's a workplace that is the primary mission field God has called them to. It is there they spend the most hours and around the most people. They are to serve people in their workplace. Pray for them. Walk wisely in order their conduct in order to reflect Christ. I hope this message touched you. It certainly touched me. And as I was preparing this, I thought, next time when I'm going to bring a plumber into the house, next time I'm going to bring somebody to do some work in my house, I'll be careful how I'm going to handle them. God bless you. God be with you. Worship him. Please come. Let's join them as their leaders in the time final song.